This is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to Crusader Chronicles. You're listening to Crusader Chronicles episode 19, featuring Amazing Spider-Man number 163 and Uncanny X-Men number 102 from September 1976. Welcome to the 19th episode of Crusader Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Pat, a.k.a. DJ Christatos. Crusader Chronicles is a podcast that will journal the comic book issues read chronologically by the release date from my comic book collection, either in digital, in a trade, or from many long boxes stashed away in my basement. Each episode will provide short recaps, reviews, and ratings of the issue or issues for each release date. Their goal is to keep me actively reading through my collection and have fun along the way talking about the comics with my friends. Speaking about my friends, let's see who's joining me this time around. First, we have Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe. Bad. A prescription for danger. Hello, hello. Got some bad news today. I saw Delvin walking in the rain. Uh, I ran up on him to do a Rambo. I did not chill, so he won't be joining us. <laughs> oh, poor Delvin. I hope he feels better. Are these orange juice Jones, Jones. jokes do anything yeah. for him? <laughs> maybe, maybe he should drink some orange juice. That usually it's supposed to help you feel better, right? Yes, yes. Our friend Delvin the Dark Web is not feeling well. He won't join us today, which is unfortunate, but I think we've got some other folks here that could pick up the slack so who else we got pat he did provide us some written comments that oh, we yeah, can probably right. share along with us i need some vitamin d d's nuts <laughs> <laughs> see i can take over for him <laughs> you know how delvin feels right that. now delvin feels like uh a trash can we do have at least another person with us, and that is Jason, the Weasel Skull Albrecht. Jason, how are you? I'm great. Been waiting here for you guys forever. It's about time to show up. <laughs> well, we have cleverly been keeping our special guest busy while we waited for Jason to come. Hopefully you weren't walking in the rain, Jason, so you don't get sick as well either. But, no, I feel great. Uh, good, good. <laughs> Because you're going to need it this go-around. Speaking of our special guest this time around, we have Sean Ross from the Secret Wars and Beyond Beyond. podcast. Welcome, Sean. Thanks for being here. Glad to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm a big fan of the show, and and I came prepared because I know I need a super cool alias to be on the show. Uh So I racked my brains, and I'm like, well, I'm going to go with what they called me when I lived in London for a little bit of time. So you can call me Harry Crocker. That's what I'm going to be for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to escape midway through, and and y'all are going to be able to catch me. Yeah. We don't even streams. have Delvin to put him in that hole. <laughs> no. Yeah, how could you get away from Bobby Wilkins? I get away from everybody, man. <laughs> well played, well played. Yeah. If you don't get what he's talking about, you should turn into our other podcast, Saturday Matinee Theater, where we're discussing the 1954 Sherlock Holmes television series. Back to you, Pat. Thank you. 
let's find out a little bit about Sean now that we know what he does on the side. Tell us about your podcast. So I'm the co-host of Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond with Greg Arujo, where we review every issue of every Marvel Secret Wars miniseries. And we've covered the beautiful gem that is volume one. We will soon cover the beautiful gem that is volume three. And we are currently covering the turd in between, which is volume two. Uh, But (laughs) the show is a blast, even if the material we're covering is not. And then I also co-host the Nerdy Dads podcast with Steve Medeiros. And we've been friends for 30 years. And we talk about the pop culture things that we love and how we are going to inflict them upon our children. (laughs) I'm actually very, very successful at that if you need any hints or tips. My (laughs) 12-year-old loves everything I show him from the 80s. A couple months ago, he said, Dad, why do all the best movies and music come from the 80s? And I knew I had done some things right. (laughs) See, that gets me misty, man. (laughs) Why not? I mean, 80s was a a great time. I love the 80s. I know. I know. Was there a better time for movies and music and pop culture? Oh, man. I can't think of it. If I could just live back in the 80s, man, I'd, I'd love that. Tell me about it, man. If I go back to those three years that I lived in Germany in the 80s, I'd live those three years over and over and over again. When we say 80s, you know, you got 80 to 89. That's correct, well, Pat. That's know, a, I think that's yeah. how decades work. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I, Very good. So man. far, so good. What's so, my schooling's, my schooling's we're, with you, off. we're with you so far. <laughs> What would you say? What would be those years? What oh, would be the, for me it's the main to 87 to, to 90? So I guess technically 87 to very late 89. <laughs> those were the years I lived in Germany. Wouldn't trade for the world. Same, Jason? same with me. Yeah, same absolutely. choices of yours. And in fact, I lived in Germany again from 2001 to 2005. And if you listen to like the music at the club scene, those 80s are still there, man. <laughs> they haven't moved on. How about you, Sean? What's your go-to years in the 80s? Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same window. 87 might be the best year of comic books ever. And so I think it's that same little run, that 87 to 89. 84 was good. I'm just going to say 84 is, I think, where my things start coming. Yes. That's what I was thinking. Great movie year. And that's really kind of the year I got back into comics. Hmm. I'm thinking like the year of MTV. That was just a good time for music explosion, I think, at that time. Hmm. I I think that I think the thing you got to understand about Jared and myself was that we spent three, four years, four years in in Germany. So we didn't really have cable television. So mm-hmm. we missed a lot of that mm-hmm. pop culture stuff that was going on mm-hmm. in the United States. So like, you know, Star Trek, the Next Generation, The Simpsons. You you could see some of these things, but but it was very sporadic. I mean we just had Armed Forces Network television, which was we saw a lot of MacGyver. I'll put it that way. MacGyver, I think, <laughs> we, we had down. But, but yeah, we missed a lot of the pop culture stuff. But we got the comics. You we got did the comics? get the comics, yes. And did yeah. you, you got the music, too? Yeah. Yep, yep, music, too. We only had the one American radio station, but it was, you know, they would play the top 40. Top 40. Pretty regularly. Pretty regularly. Cool. And to this day, I stream, when I'm at my house, I stream 80s music from mm-hmm. a radio station in Germany. So oh, I, I really? hear the commercials and stuff in German, which really takes me back too. So I love I love yeah. putting that streaming German eighties music station on, and then reading my comics. It just transports. Me <laughs> That's a good idea. I need to start doing that. Do they do they do a uh, do they do like now? It's time for Pet Shop Boys on sprockets <laughs> when we dance. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of aha. Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot of aha, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I had older sisters, man. They're they're six and seven years older than me. So anything they liked, I of course latched onto. So I was like the only kid in third grade 
whose Walkman would switch between like Joy Division and NWA. Like it was either like first wave, new wave, or really hardcore gangster rap, which freaked out my teachers a little bit. (laughs) See, I developed my love love for Queen later on when I was in Germany, because I used to go to the library and just check out uh, albums. Um, and they had Queen's greatest hits. And at the time, I mean, I knew they, they sang, we will rock you. And I knew they sang, you know, we are the champions, but that's about all I, I remembered from my, my childhood with them. And then I started looking, I was like, Oh, I started recognizing all these songs that I heard when in the seventies when I was growing up and I just, uh, and I just kind of went on from there. And, uh, so, so yeah, it was a good time for me to kind of go back in time a little bit and get. So I, I started falling in love with some of the retro stuff, some of the old Billy Joel and mm-hmm. uh, like I said, Queen, some old Ken Rogers in the first edition and things like that. It was a good time to just check out albums and listen to some classics. Very cool. Well, speaking of classics, I think that's a good segue for us to get into our first issue for this podcast. Let's go ahead and take a quick podcast promo break, and we will be right back with that. In late 1984, Marvel's direct sales manager sat in a crowded meeting of comic retailers. Let's be honest, Secret Wars was crap, right? But did it sell? The room exploded with applause. Well, get ready for Secret Wars Series 2. Beginning in 2018, Pulp to Pixel's Marvel Superhero Secret Wars and Beyond will do the unthinkable Secret Wars 2. We'll take a detailed look at the event, the tie-ins, the new characters, and we will attempt to answer one of the largest questions in the history of the Marvel Universe. What the heck was Jim Shooter thinking? No, no, seriously, what was Jim Shooter thinking? Well, you can find out at the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where you can subscribe to all of our amazing shows, or just to Secret Wars and Beyond itself, as it is now in its own omnipotent feed. Secret Wars 2 and Beyond, a Pulp to Pixel podcast production. You'll believe an omnipotent being can use the restroom. Welcome back from the break. Now let's get to the first featured comic for this episode, and that is Amazing Spider-Man number 163. The credits for this issue are provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics website. Publisher is Marvel. Got a cover date of December 1976. On sale date was September 14th, 1976. Got a cover price of just 30 cents. Oh, man. Editor is Len Wein. The writer is Len Wein. Always a favorite of Delvin. We got a penciler of Ross Andrew. And everybody's favorite anchor. Say it with me now. Mike. (laughs) I'm actually Hispanic. Do you guys know what Esposito is Spanish for? No. Esposito. Esposito. Ah. (laughs) The anchor. I thought it was like Spanish for the anchor. (laughs) El cor. El incar. I like that. Letterer was Joseph Rosen. Color made bad colors for this time is Glennis Ween. If you want to follow along with us, this is reprinted in Essential Spider-Man Volume 8 from 2007. Or you can follow along on Marvel Unlimited. Got cover credits. Penciler is Dave Cockrum. And inker is John Romita. Speaking about the cover, Jared, why don't you go ahead and give us a little description of it? I'll be happy to do that, Pat. The Marvel Comics Group banner, done in black letters on a yellow background, runs across the top just over over the ever-classic Amazing Spider-Man logo with the webs, with 
the webs, boys. The webs are back. The corner box icon is the usual standing pose Spider-Man of the time. He's on an orange background this time. The main action shows Spider-Man jumping to dodge a desk that the Kingpin is using to attempt to pile drive our favorite web slinger. The Kingpin is shouting, the Kingpin is back, webhead, as Spidey is thinking, and this time, there's no way on earth to stop him. A dialogue bubble on the bottom right proclaims all out action in the mighty Marvel manner. Back to you, Pat. Uh, before we go on, I don't got any webs on mine. Yeah, I don't either. I'm looking at the That's original no issues. No webs. No. It's got webs on the, the uh... script either. It doesn't have any webs. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it, it does. Doesn't. It does. They're black. They're hard to see, but they're black on green. Yeah, I thought he was full of shit too when he first said it, but then I looked close. Oh. I was like, oh, yeah. There's oh, I, I see him black. now. Yeah. I okay. thought it was just Everybody like a eat raptor. Eat my <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> no, I will not eat the. Well, you can't food. see them. Listen, okay, they're hard they're to see. Back, okay. That's all you need to know. I wouldn't steer you wrong. <laughs> all right, I guess I see them now. But man, all right, whatever. Did you questioned me. Well, I was never questioned me. Who invented this podcast? Well, you did, <laughs> but that's beside the point. <laughs> I guess that I didn't see them. Like, I'm looking at this, and where are the webs? But why would they do that, though? That's my yeah. question. All right. It is weird that they chose to put black webs over a dark green background. Hard to see, but I was just so excited that they were back. Okay. Take it out on the score if you don't like it, Pat. Yes. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> I'll take it out on Jared's score. I'm going to minus one on Jared. <laughs> Look, man, I didn't draw the cover. I just reported it. <laughs> Let's go and see what our thoughts are on this cover. We'll start with Sean. I like it. I think does not read Dave Cockrum to me right off the start. Like he's got such a distinct style. And I think it's Ramita's inks make it a little bit more classic. It makes it a little bit more Ramita-esque, especially like in the Kingpin's face. And I like the fact that like smashing a desk into Spidey, which is cool. And I miss covers with word balloons. Like I think it's mm-hmm. it's awesome that he's like, hey, the Kingpin's back. And, you know, Spidey's like, oh, there's no way on earth to stop him. And I'm thinking, well, except cholesterol, <laughs> you know, there, there's some ways <laughs> <laughs> There's some ways to stop them. They're, you know, blocking an artery or something. But I think it's a dynamic cover. It's not the best Spider-Man cover, but at least it's action-y. I think they could have made the webs a little bit more prevalent at the top. But uh, other than that... <laughs> Other than that, I think it looks great. Jared, how about you? I like the subtlety of the webs at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I think that our guest, Sean, has put a fine point on that. Let's put a pin in that whole John Romita inking thing, because on this particular episode, we're going to be discussing an X-Men cover later on, also done by Dave Cockrum. So it's a good compare and contrast, but I think Sean's given us a good tip that inkers can be very important to the tone of a cover. And this one looks great. I like the action. It just screams classic Spidey to me. Well, like a true ink- <laughs> Jason, what do you think? I think it's funny that all the big boys in the Marvel Universe wear purple pants. I'm wondering where they get those purple pants. I think Spidey wears a pair of purple pants in this issue. It looks good on him now. This is a solid cover. I like the action, the kinetic feel of Kingpin slamming the desk against the wall. And you see all the items on the desk that are jumping around there. It's a good action pose Spider-Man has there. It makes you interested in what's going on. Kingpin, of course, is uh, a list villain so that hooks you right away he kind of takes up the majority of the cover there i guess that's my only minor complaint is i'm not really complaining i guess it's a preference i just prefer the hero to have a more dominant position on his own cover but overall i think it looks good it grabs your attention and definitely wants to make you read the book i do think this cover has some action in it i love the word balloons as well too i always like that how they tell you kind of what's going to happen in the issue i agree with the webs as well i was lost until Jarrett said that they were there i did not see them before. So thanks for pointing that out. Now I feel like a silly head that I did. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, this guy's a straight up silly head. 
do you get off with your silly head ideas? I know. <laughs> I was thinking it, but I choose not to say that word out of respect for silly heads. <laughs> well, as silly, well not only am I the member of the silly heads, I'm also the president. <laughs> This is our first time that we kind of get to see the actual kingpin before we had that one time where it was an imposter at the time. Now we actually get to see the real kingpin. Or is he not? I know what. I'm kind of worried about that because I've been fooled once before. (laughs) I like how they're in the studio and you can see kind of the rigging and all that that's going on around there. The cigarette case that he's got there. You know, how many people you'd have to take that out of the pack and then put that individually into a box to have all your cigarettes there. Kingpin cigarettes don't come in a pack. It's not like he's getting a pack of cools. Yeah. He's, got, he's got some hand-rolled stuff, man. Well, maybe. Makes you wonder. Definitely enjoy this cover with the black background. It brings you more focused into the action that's happening on the scene. Well, with that, I think let's go ahead and get into the ratings. For this episode, I'm just going to give a reminder to everybody and as well as Jason. So we make sure he gets it right. Our rating system is a one through five system. One, it ruffled your tummy feathers. You hated it. Two, you didn't like it. Three, you liked it it four you really liked it or five it tickled your tummy feathers let's find out what it did for sean so i was actually born without tummy feathers but i I do have a vestigial tail that i can make move up and down (laughs) if i concentrate really hard and it's making it move a little bit i would give it like a 3.5 maybe a four it's got some good action the kingpin looks a little bit like burgess meredith he looks a little bit like the penguin from the old batman 66 tv show which i'm digging i like the fact that you know in the midst of all this action he still has his dainty cigarette holder in his mouth which is is a nice touch but yeah you know I'll give it a four. I think it's action-packed. It's nice to see a classic villain, and it's nice to see Spidey in peril. Four for you. Let's see what Jared thought. I'm going to second that. Let's go with a four. I think it's great action. Great inking work. We don't say that a lot. Mm. Great inking work. And Dave Cockrum's no slouch on the pencils. Four. Solid four. Delvin? Delvin wasn't here, but he did provide us some notes. He's going to give this cover a four. Lots of action, and Kingpin looks menacing. Jason, how about you? I'm going to give it a little bit lower. I'm going to go with a three, and that's just, again, because I prefer to have my hero to have a more dominant position on his own cover. It looks like they spent more time on the desk than they did on Spider-Man. But other than that, I think it's good. The flaws in there aren't enough to make me say I didn't like it. I still liked it, but just not scoring quite as high as the previous two covers. Three for me. What about you, Pat? I am going to give this a four. I really liked it. Definitely the art on the kingpin and the desk really stood out. And I think the coloring as well, too, made it pop for me. And the blurbs. I love the blurbs. So with that, I think why don't we go ahead and get to the story synopsis. And that is going to be provided by Delvin. While attending a demonstration in radiology, high school student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the spider's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. A Spider-Man. Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man.
Our story begins with Spidey hitching a ride on a bus for no legitimate reason at all. After pulling a Brave Star and noticing a helicopter was suspiciously flying over a truck for no reason, Spidey springs into action. You don't know who Brave Star is? Well, Brave Star was a space western cartoon where the lead character had four powers. One of them was the Eyes of the Hawk. This is a Spidey synopsis? Fine. Anyway, let's get back to it. (laughs) Spidey leaps into action and encounters the same goons he's faced at least three previous times. These goons hold him off long enough to secure the truck, with the soon-to-be-revealed bad guy waiting in the wings. Okay, it's Kingpin. The title of this book is called All the Kingpin's Men. The Peter Parker exposition comes into play as he gets all new, all used digs for his apartment, thanks to Gloria Grant being an awesome sister. I don't know if I'm allowed to say sister. This is all so confusing. What are the rules on this? (laughs) Yeah, who's gonna go? (laughs) and gathering Spidey's friends. After once again striking out with Mary Jane due to Flash's interference, the biggest advancement is Harry and Liz Osborne getting super cozy on Peter's rooftop. Peter could have been caught spying on them, but he, like Brave Star, has the speed of a puma. Back to the action. Spidey uses some sneaky detective skills to find out what was taken from the truck, and it leads him to the big reveal of the secret henchman that's really not a secret because it's the Kingpin, who has been pining for a shot at Spidey for a long, long time. A desperate battle ensues where Kingpin uses the strength of a bear you guessed it, it's three out of four Brave Star powers to force Spidey into a desperate battle where Spidey gets the edge just before Kingpin knocks him out with sleeping gas. The story ends with Spidey strapped to a table besides a yet-to-be-revealed person who Kingpin promises to revive by stealing Spidey's life. Ears of a wolf! That's the last Brave Star power. (laughs) This is like when I read the scripts Jason writes on the James Bond Oh, but that's that's Delvin's script, and it was fun to read. Sorry he couldn't get it from the man himself. And uh, I guess I apologize for using the term sista. Back to you, Pat. Well, thank you, Jared, for that interpretation of Delvin's synopsis. And thank you, Delvin, for providing that to us ahead of time. We wish you could be here. Let's get to the brick-a-brack of this issue. We'll start with, is it a first read or reread? It's going to be a first read for me. Jason? First read for me as well. Delvin? It's a first read for me, too. Jared? It is a first read for me. And how about our guest, Mr. Sean? We have achieved rainbow status, Woo! my friends, because this is a first read. Woo! Take a look to see that book. Reading Rainbow. Ooh, I can't get that high. <laughs> Only Delvin can. Only Delvin can. We're missing that. Well, speaking of highs, why don't we get into some highs and lows? Sean, what do you got? Actually, the very first page is a midpoint for me. I don't know if it's a high or a low because Spider-Man is on his back on a moving bus on a turnpike. So that thing's doing 60 or 70 miles an hour. And he is sticking to it, which now makes me wonder, does his sticking power, does it work all over his body? Like, I I thought it was just a hands and feet thing. It's bringing up a lot of questions. Like, does he go for a physical and just screw with the doctor? He's like, you know, like, doctor, get your hands off my but he's not, you know, it's <laughs> he's just oh. there's stuck. It opened up some questions about his power. So that was kind of a midpoint. He notices something wrong with the helicopter because it doesn't have its normal FAA markings on it. Like, ah, I don't know. I don't think that's one of his powers. So that was a low for me. It's a little known Spidey power. <laughs> <laughs> he's a pretty smart guy. So I, I don't know. <laughs> well said, Pat. <laughs> well I, I don't got nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have one high that I want to – I really like when he's plummeting from the helicopter and he doesn't know how he's going to save himself. I liked the web ball technique. I thought that was pretty cool. Like he – you know, instead of doing a web parachute, which we've seen a million times, I like that he surrounds himself in a ball of webbing and, and it hurts when he lands. It's not a use of his power I've seen before. So I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, are you a fan of the web glider? 
Web glider's good. I like the armpit webs. Like, web I'm, glider I'm, is not good. <laughs> web glider's good. Spider buggy's good. I'm good with any weird Spider-Man paraphernalia. I, <laughs> I like, like I like it all. Spider ball, so I, I agree with you on the spider ball. I want to say going back to Spider-Man on just kind of leaning back on that bus with the one leg on and then his other leg kind of crossed across his body. I would think Spider-Man doesn't skip leg day, so he's pretty strong with that where one leg would kind of keep him on there. I just like the idea of his whole body having the sticking power. <laughs> the, the many messes that would create. Like, I think he would struggle with dingleberries, but I don't, I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's where my mind went. <laughs> well, you brought up the point, though. How does he stick through his shoes? Well, what kind of shoes does he got on his boots or whatever? I'm digging deep in my memory, but I seem to recall there was an issue with Spider-Man where he was poisoned through his gloves. And there was a comment made that his gloves had to be porous so that mm-hmm. he could so like, use his... Yeah, so he could so use like his... like, lead through whatever... Yeah, well, there was there have been a couple of comics where they've depicted him as, like, little hairs, almost, that kind of hook into something. Yeah. But yeah. even that's weird, because that would hurt. He was sticking to something that was, I don't know, alive or something. Like, I suspend disbelief. I'm like, it's cool. It's all fine. It just, it did throw me. Because I'm like, the only way he's laying comfortably on that bus is if he is using like his lower back muscles to stick to it. So it was a weird image, though beautifully drawn by Ross Andrews. And as an environmentalist and an air quality professional, I did appreciate his advocacy of public transportation. So there was that. Very good. Do you have anything else, Sean? I would say probably the only other thing is this is kind of your archetypal Spider-Man story. You have Spidey versus a big time villain. And then even the Peter Parker side, you know, he's sitting there feeling bad for himself because he wants to be with Mary Jane. But it looks like she's flirting with Flash Thompson. And, you know, he goes back to his apartment and all of his friends, they've thrown him this party where they furnished his entire apartment. And he just mopes like he never says thank you. (laughs) I was like, you know, apparently you didn't get the proportionate manners of a spider because he like never thanks the people (laughs) who helped him and he just sits there kind of whining about Mary Jane and so it's got all the kind of all the ingredients of a Spider-Man story that you think of you know it's got the pathos and the failed romance and the action so for me this is like if somebody asked me like what's Spider-Man 101 like this is an issue I think I'd show him that's a good synopsis of it too yeah you do have his action side you do have his Peter Parker side and then you do have a a good villain in it and I do wonder you know when that radioactive spider bit him was there also a radioactive middle school girl because he got the wine powers too man I I have (laughs) never Never seen anybody whine as much as Peter Parker in this issue, but it is true to where his character was in the 70s, so it works. Let's go to, well, Delvin. What do you think? The artwork, for some reason, just really popped out at me. Thought it was great throughout. Enjoyed Sneaky Spidey finding out where the kingpin was. Loved the action. Y'all realize that no matter how Ween tries to explain his way out of this, there's no way kingpin kicks Spidey's butt like this. And then Delvin begins to bang his head against the wall. <laughs> so there you have his highs and lows. I was yeah, wondering what... if he was going to make a comment on that. So I guess that question is answered. <laughs> that question is answered. <laughs> well, thank you for reading Delvin's comments there, Jared. Let's hear what yours are. Mine are identical to Delvin's, which is word for word weird. Really? Okay, they're not. <laughs> All right. So, Wait a minute. Are you Delvin's clone? <laughs> yes. Have you ever noticed we look exactly alike? <laughs> wow. Haven't you been stuck in a closet or stuffed down a... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wrapped me in a carpet one time, stuffed me in a closet. I don't know what he was doing in there. <laughs> 
All right, two highs and a low. I'm going to give a high. I got excited because I work in my day job in the aviation helicopter industry, so I thought that helicopter was really cool. I like the way it was drawn. For other helicopter nerds out there, it's loosely based on the CH-54 Sikorsky Sky Crane. Yeah, I just said that. Mm. My other high is I really like the party at Peter's house. I thought his friends were super cool to do that for him and bring him a bunch of stuff. And I'm going to have to echo one thing that Sean said for my low. I thought Peter was an absolute jerk. He showed no appreciation for that whatsoever. He had nothing. And even though he had this very eclectic, odd secondhand thing going on, his place looked pretty dang cool. I mean, he got like a cigar store Indian and a giant sailfish. I would have taken some of you know what hell I mean? yeah, man. That place looks dope as hell. Yeah. So, you know, quit your bitching and say thanks to your friends. Stop being a jerk face or a silly head, as some people are called. <laughs> yeah, silly head, see? <laughs> and that's it for my highs and lows. I'm sure I'm supposed to pass it to someone, but I don't have my script up. Pat, help me out. That would be Jason. Going back last issue, I noted how there wasn't as much humor or the humor seemed forced an issue back. And this time, I actually laughed out loud in a few places, particularly the how housewarming scene that you guys have been talking about. I thought that was really funny, some of the things that he got. Also, I agree. I think the art, the whole spectacle of the fight scene was very visceral, really cool, really well drawn by Ross Andrew. I get where Delvin's going about the proportion of strength between Kingpin and Spider-Man. They shouldn't be on quite that parody, but overall, I thought it was fun. It was a page-turner. And I'm just gonna reiterate what everybody said so far. I thought both Peter and Mary Jane are kind of like and they kind of belong together, I think. <laughs> so I just, you're right. These guys, they went out of their way to bring you stuff and go out and find stuff. And some of it was kind of gaggish, but hey, who doesn't need a toaster, right? And who doesn't need a chair to sit in? He didn't have all this stuff before. So a thank you wouldn't have killed him. And I'll just leave it at that. I think that just leaves Pat. What do you think, Pat? Yeah, I'm going to kind of agree with everyone as well here. I was kind of taken off. I wasn't sure where Spider-Man was coming from on this bus ride. I had that question too. Like, where were you? Yeah, what, what was going <laughs> on? What was happening at this time? Where is he coming from? I, I don't know. Now, they did mention in this issue that this syncs up with, I think, the very first issue of Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man. So I'm wondering if maybe like, he ended up somewhere at the end of that issue that he needed a bus ride home. I don't know. I case. don't know. I didn't know if that with the Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man, they made it sound like that's what happens between the end of his party and yeah. when he goes out on patrol. Oh, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. That's what I thought as well. I was like, but where is he coming from this bus? I don't, know, man. I, I don't get it. But I did like, as Sean mentioned, him coming up with the web ball. That was pretty inventive, I thought. The, the housewarming party, I think Jason had it right there as well, too, talking about he went from just having a piece of carpeting or something in his room in the whole house. Now he's got furnished. And the, he had to use that carpeting to roll up his clone and ditch the body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that carpet tied the whole room together, man. <laughs> Lebowski jokes. Yep. Can I'm sorry, can I point out yeah. the apartment party there's a scene where peter mj and flash are on the couch mm-hmm. and behind them somebody has put up a poster that says every day in every way i am getting better and better that is so a poster you give to your loser friend like that is so, like, that is so <laughs> one of the friends in there was like i'm just gonna give peter a little hint that he has completely not lived up to his potential okay. in any way just a little hint and i'm just gonna put it up right behind his couch okay who do you, who do you guys think it is that did that that brought that poster that's flash all the way man Flash Thompson. Jared? I'm going to vote that it is a not-so-subtle hint from Robbie Robertson. <laughs> ah. 
that was going to be my distant second. Right there. <laughs> Sean, how about you? It's this subtle way of saying, get, get, sort yourself out, kid. Get your life in order. I think it's Aunt May. I think Aunt May <laughs> pressured MJ into bringing it because that is some oh, subtle, passive-aggressive Aunt May action. <laughs> Ooh, my, Aunt my May mind is so passive-aggressive. Yeah, that's got her written all over it, man. Yeah. Smells of wheat cakes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say it's Harry. Oh, crazy eyes. Yeah, because he needs that because he, you know, he's coming back from his. He needs those, uh, you know, those positive reinforcement yes, reminders. Yes, he mm-hmm. probably stole that poster from the mental institution that he was in. <laughs> <laughs> he probably had that hanging up in his house, and then he got his ass together. He's got the hot new girlfriend. Things are looking up. He's like, I don't need this anymore. You know who does? Exactly. He's that kind of guy that sits there in his sweater going, you know what? I'm perfect. People like me. <laughs> Gosh darn it. People like me. Somehow this went off the rails during Pat's turn. It's rarely happens. <laughs> always does. Way. But I do like Mary Jane kind of, I don't know if she's flirting with Flash or just, she's just being that kind of open person where, you know, I'm just going to be friendly and, you know, whatever happens, happens here. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Well, you know, I, I do know what happens in the future, but I don't know how down a few issues does this continue to play out, what's happening here. So Peter, just either you want to be with her, either don't give it up. She's using it to her her advantage to get you mad like come on smarten up here that's right wrap her up in a carpet yeah her down a smokestack somewhere. take her for a nice swing up the brooklyn bridge nothing bad ever happens up there <laughs> <laughs> this show got dark man Mary Jane's dead. well it's uh, not like marvel editors haven't tried to do it in the past <laughs> back, uh, to back to me yep <laughs> Once we get to some Spidey and Kingpin action here, I really haven't read a lot of Kingpin, so I was really excited to see him finally in action. I like that they get him into a filming studio, and he's kind of got it cleverly planned out how he's going to trap Spider-Man. Is Kingpin really that super strong? No, and I think that's Delvin's point. I mean, he's strong. He's human strong. I mean, I'm not not trying to get all like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, on you. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, Jason, tell us Spidey the levels. You see here, he's a level five law. Exactly. I, I, I was an incredible at 40, and I think Kingpin was. I think he was maybe like. Maybe excellent? At he 20? was. Yeah, he was like an excellent at 20. So Spider Man's about twice as strong mm-hmm. as he is. It's like me setting up a trap for Dave Batista and going, oh, I have you now. Get those cameras rolling and get ready for the <laughs> <laughs> it's, things are not going to turn out the way that I hope. <laughs> but, you know, you could also look at it as maybe Spider-Man is a little worn out from whatever happened in Spectacular Spider-Man. I'll give that a little break. But that kind of just kind of threw me off. I'm like, really? This guy's that strong? We've gone through how many issues of this being set up? You did all this just so you could get him into a room where you can kind of beat him around? Why wouldn't you have just done it earlier on? That one I kind of get because he's kind of narcissistic. He's power mad. And so I, I think he wants to humiliate Spider-Man. But he's just going to humiliate him in front of his own people that he's paying. It's whatever that last page is, right? Like, he knocks him unconscious, and then he's got him strapped to this device, Mm -hmm. and there's another man strapped next to him. And Kingpin's like, well, I'm going to take what's most valuable to you so that he can live again, whoever he may end up being. So I think it was one of those things where he's like, and he even says it, like, I need you alive, but I don't need you pristine. So he wanted to knock him around a little bit. I think the vengeance part was just kind of like bonus points, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I got him here. I'm going to show everybody I'm the big dog. 
dog. I'm going to roll up my shirt sleeves and beat the piss out of this guy. And, you know, essentially that's what he did. But I kind of agree with Delvin. I think I would have liked it better if he would have drugged him up somehow a little bit and then beat him down. Yeah. That seems like a kingpinish thing to do. And then you could use that to explain why, despite the disproportionate strengths between Spidey and Kingpin, how Kingpin could go in there and be victorious. Like I said, I liked it. I thought it was good, but I also see where Delvin might have some problems with it. Well, my only other thing here is at the end, when he knocks Spider-Man out, how long is he out that Kingpin doesn't take advantage of finding out who he is? I suppose if he took off the mask, would he know that it, you know, who Peter Parker is? Eh. Know that he would, yeah. So I, I guess he did peek and you know, do one of those Lex Luthor. Uh, I have no idea who this guy is. <laughs> I was just moments. thinking the same thing. I have no idea who this is. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, to me as a villain, wouldn't you do it anyway just to see? You'd take it off and take a picture. Just yeah, to exactly. Yeah. It. Right. Yeah. And then use your resources to find out who he is. Yeah. Or at the very least, if you're really evil, you do what happens when people fell asleep at parties in high school and you draw things on their face <laughs> and magic marker. And, you know, <laughs> like you would have done something. Yeah, Peter exactly. walking around with a big K on his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> just says silly head <laughs> oh that would have been funny <laughs> oh that would have been my silly spidey moment if he did that oh speaking of that why don't we get into that Sean, what is your silly Spidey moment for this episode? There are a few to choose from, but for me, it's the way he tracks Kingpin down. And he says, you know, I spend all this time as Peter Parker going to Con Ed to figure out who's using an unusual amount of electricity lately. And I was like, ah, I don't really think of Spider-Man in that way. He's not exactly the world's greatest detective. And, uh, you know, it's also New York City. So, like, if you look for who's using the most energy, there are five different places doing five very different things that are happening with all that. So I thought that was kind of a silly moment to set up. That's how he tracks him down and then the continuation of that scene the fact that he walks in on the kingpin and a kingpin's been sitting there with his back to the door and it's like was he sitting there all night like because you didn't know when spidey was going to show up like did he have one of his henchmen there with a thermos in case he had to go to the bathroom like like i, I just thought that was a really weird moment too so that was my silly moment he even said finally i was starting to think you weren't exactly. gonna figure it out <laughs> Jared, how about you? I'm going to go back to the apartment warming party. Okay. And I like the moment where, you know, Peter complained about a lot of things. He complained about his five toasters, to which Gloria said, listen, Ace, you're lucky two of these actually work. <laughs> I, which made me laugh because that means three people brought toasters that they knew did not work. <laughs> like, So you brought him your garbage. Yeah, that, that, that is kind of messed up. You can complain That's about that. Pretty funny. <laughs> Jason? I am also going to take the apartment warming a scene there. I like content page seven when he sees the big Indian chief statue. He says, so nobody had uh, any use for big chief down in the mouth here. So I <laughs> <laughs> thought that was, uh, that was kind of funny. All right. Let's see what Delvin's silly Spidey moment is. How broke do you have to be that people give you a fish statue so your place doesn't look empty? Pete is <laughs> broke. <laughs> I like how three of our silly Spidey moments are all on the same page <laughs> right there together. That was pretty funny. That was a funny scene. But have we heard Pat's silly Spidey moment? Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. I think you all probably know which one I'm going to choose. Oh, I know what it is. Chubbins. Well, and it was hard. Chubbins. Yeah. Chubbins. Chubbins. He said it twice in here, and I was so happy when he said that. I was hoping it. I'm like, oh, man, it's a Kingpin Nester episode. It's going to be cool. He's going to... Hopefully he's going to call him something. And he does. And he calls him Chubbins twice. So Yeah, I a, saw a that. That, was that gives like... me a double chubby. <laughs> <laughs> 
I saw that. And I was like, no way. I got to leave that one for Pat. <laughs> you know, there were some other good ones, too, when he's fighting. And that's, that always makes me laugh. Anyway, he, suppose he said, uh, Goodyear called. They want you to stop eating their balloons. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so Pat gives us his double chubby award, huh? Yep. Gets a double stuffed. Double chubbies. <laughs> With that, why don't we get into our ratings for this issue? And just another quick reminder. Is this going to be a one through five? One, it ruffled your tummy feathers. Two, you didn't like it. Three, you liked it. Four, you really liked it. And five, it tickled your tummy feathers. Let's find out what it did for Sean. I'm going to give this a four. It's not a perfect issue, but it is, like I said earlier, a sort of prototypical Spider-Man issue in the 70s. And I think it just, it's everything you expect. It's all the chewy Peter Parker drama and it's all the, you know, Spidey versus a classic bad guy. So it gets a four for me. And and actually it gets a little bit of a bump because I'm reading the original newsstand edition and there is an oh. ad for OJ Simpson juice mobile oh, shoes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that did not age well. Like in the ad, he actually says like for running in a touchdown or running down a dark Brentwood street. And I was like, oh, that's a bad touch. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good issue. I, I'd give it a four. Uh, let's see, Jared. I'm going to give it a three. Solid three. Liked it. And that's what threes mean. I have nothing else to say. Who's next? Delvin? A three out of five. I like the story. It's going somewhere and it's a good direction. So I think Delvin and I are of similar thoughts. Good issue. Solid three. Jason? I'm going to go with a four. I thought that uh, this one had nice injection of humor. I think that, like it's been mentioned before, it kind of has all of the hit points for um, a good Spidey story. We got some good Peter Parker angst. We got some fun Spidey action. We had an A-list villain. I really liked it. Four is where I land. What about you, Pat? Bring us home. I am going to give it a three. I liked it. It brought some action. It brought some humor. I was just looking for a little bit more out of this. Going to give it a straight three. I'm still interested in continuing on. So I think with that, that's going to bring us to the end of this part of the show. You got a comment or question, or we would like to know what your thoughts are on this issue as well. What would you rate it? Would you give it a three or a four? Let us know. And you can do that by sending us an email at contact at longboxcrusade.com or make a comment on the Twitter or Facebook page. With that, we'll be right back. What a beautiful summer day. Bob, it's Wednesday, hump day. There's so much to do. A new exhibit at the gallery. Let's go to the park and have a picnic. I got a better idea. Let's head over to the bar and catch a show and stir up some trouble. Now, Barbara, we can't do that. It's Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, no. That means... New comic book day. It's time for the gal to walk into a comic shop. My Wednesdays might be shot, but that just means that come Tuesday, you guys get to listen to a new episode of A Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop, a comic book podcast where each week I do something I never thought I'd do, read comic books. It's about sharing passion. Introducing new readers to the world of comics. Playing crazy quizzes. Singing songs. And giving reviews and commentary on the latest releases. Join us every Tuesday on A Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop. Search for us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your pods. You know you want to. How can they resist? I wish I could have. All right. Welcome back from the break. Now let's get into the second featured issue for this episode, and that is Uncanny X-Men 102. It's got a publisher of Marvel, cover date of December 1976, with an on-sale date of 21st of September from 1976. Cover price is 30 cents. Editor is Archie Goodwin. Writer is Chris Esquirant. Esquire! Esquire! Penciler is Dave Crockerum. Inker is Sam Granger. Letter is John Costanta. Colorist is Bonnie Wilfred. This is our second time with Bonnie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She might be getting nominated for a Color Me Bad Award at some yeah. point. She keeps this up. <laughs> 
Well, you can read along with us in many different ways here with this issue. You can look at it from the classic X-Men number 10 from 1987. Otherwise, Marvel Masterworks Volume 12 of the Uncanny X-Men, Essential X-Men Volume 1 Trade Paperback, and Uncanny X-Men Omnibus Volume 1. Or you can read along with us on Marvel Unlimited. Let's go ahead and take a quick look at the cover from the cover artist Abe Cockrum. And Jarrett, you got the cover duties as well for this issue. I've got you covered. <laughs> so anyway, this is Dave Cockrum inking himself, as opposed to having John Romita on the last cover. And this cover has the Marvel Comics Group banner done in yellow letters on a red background across the top, just over the iconic X-Men logo. But still no uncanny, as it proclaims the team to still be all new and all different. The corner box icon has the floating heads of Banshee, Colossus, Storm, Wolverine, Cyclops, and Nightcrawler on a pink background this time. The main action shows Colossus, armored up and full of rage, going toe-to-toe with the equally enraged Juggernaut. Storm cowers in the corner of the dungeon this battle takes place in, whilst a possibly drunk Nightcrawler swings by his tail from the chandelier in the background. A dialogue blurb on the cover asks the question that we all have. If Colossus should fail, who shall stop the Juggernaut? Back to you, Pat. Now let's find out what some thoughts are on this cover. We'll start with Sean. It's a good cover. I know we're not supposed to maybe compare. I think the Spider-Man cover's better for the Ramita inks. It makes it look more Spider-Man-y. I like this cover because it looks like Cockramera X-Men. I love anytime Colossus and Juggernaut fight. I X-Men 183 is one of my favorite comics ever. It's when they meet in a bar and they get in a big barroom brawl. And I'm not an artist, so I might say this wrong. Uh, I apologize, Jared. The composition looks a little off. I think feel like Juggernaut should be towering over Colossus. And then the way Storm's positioned, it looks less like she's afraid because of what's happening in the comic and more that she's like, oh, these guys are going to fall on me. Mm-hmm. So, it, <laughs> no, yeah, it just no, it doesn't quite work. It's maybe a little too busy. I think if you took Storm and Nightcrawler out of it and just had the two guys going at it, it would be a little stronger. I miss corner boxes, but Banshee looks like Catherine Hepburn from On Goldman Pond. And, it, it's, and it's, it's really making it hard for me to root for this cover. So I like it. I don't love it. Jared, your thoughts? <laughs> I'm still wrapping my head around that golden pond. <laughs> Cyclops is my knight in shining armor. <laughs> Dang it, Colossus would have been funnier. Damn it, shining armor. Oh, take two. So Colossus would have been my knight in shining armor. Anyways, this cover shows a little bit of storm cheek action, so it gets a 10. Oh, sorry. Did I jump in early on the scoring? My bad. Uh, no, I really like this cover. I'm going to go ahead and compare and contrast to the other Cockrum cover with the Spider-Man. I think, again, it shows the value of a good inker. I think that Spider-Man cover was a little more bold, but I like what's going on here. I think the battle between Colossus and Juggernaut is really cool and intriguing. I'm going to agree with our guests, though. I think Juggernaut should be a little bigger, and Nightcrawler and Storm might not necessarily need to be on there. Maybe keep Storm, maybe shrink her a little bit and have her maybe crying into her hands or something to give us a hint about that origin story, spoilers, that's coming up. But other than that, I think it's really cool looking. It's good Cockrum stuff. Jason, what do you think? I think this is how you do an action cover right here. There's no big desk that takes up two-thirds of the cover. You've got the main attraction, Colossus and Juggernaut, going toe-to-toe. Very visceral. It's one of those covers that really tells you what's going on inside the story. It's amped up, but it's not false advertising. So you've got Storm there in the bottom corner, and you're kind of like, oh, what's going on there? Then you've got Nightcrawler swinging by the chandelier, which he does inside the comic issue, which is really cool. It's got amazing colors. 
this is a standout cover right here. Pat, what do you think? I'm going to kind of agree with you, Jason, on this. I think this is a really good action-orientated cover compared to the Spider-Man one. You definitely get more of a brawling two strong men going at it than the other one where Spider-Man was just kind of jumping over a desk. I do think I agree with Sean that maybe removing Nightcrawler and doing something with Storm as, as well, that might help make it a little bit more eye-catching. But I think what really stands out to me as well is the coloring. Again, this is really, really good coloring for me. Makes things pop a little bit more. Well, let's get into the ratings for this cover. And it's, again, a one through five rating. So let's go with Sean. I think I'd give it a three. Again, I like it. Pat, the coloring deserves to be spotlit because it's really excellent. But I just think the Cockrum just misses the mark a little bit. It could have been an iconic cover. And instead, it's a cover where when I knew we were covering X-Men 102, I actually had trouble picturing. I was like, which one is that again? And, and actually, in my mind, I got the classic X-Men Art Adams cover you know, in my head. So oh, I think okay. it's a three for me. It's, it's good, but not Cockrum's best. Jared, your rating? I'm giving it a nice, solid four. I think it's a really good cover. Very strong. Lands nicely into a four. Delvin, great cover. Spoke to the story and how desperate the fight was. And it could easily be a five. So I think he Uh-oh. gave it a four with a high-pressure system moving in from the south. <laughs> with a possible five on the horizon. Jason, what's your rating? I can't speak to it any more elaborately than Delvin did. I agree with everything he said. Strong four from me as well. I'm going to agree with Delvin as well, too. Strong four for me. Before we move on, I did want to mention that we did a Twitter poll oh, yes. on go the ahead. Spider-Man cover and the X-Men cover to see what the fans thought. You can go ahead and provide us the results. All right. The fans preferred the Spider-Man cover almost mm. two to one. It was about 66% Spidey, oh. 33%. Excellent. I'm surprised by that. I, I was too. too. I thought it was going to be closer, uh, but it... Uh it wasn't. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the kind of deep analysis that you get on the Long Box Crusade. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's what you get. We report the facts and we don't put any spin on it. <laughs> well, we really do appreciate everybody ch- putting in there and picking and choosing from that poll. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks for getting on our poll, everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of polls, let's get to a short synopsis. Jason? Cyclops. Storm. Banshee, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Colossus, Children of the Atom, Students of Charles Xavier, Mutants. Feared and hated by the world they have sworn to protect, these are the strangest heroes of all. These are the X-Men. Stanley presents The Uncanny X-Men. one was titled who will stop the juggernaut short answer no one (laughs) back to you back back to you (laughs) back all right who will stop 
the Juggernaut. When we last left our merry band of mutant heroes, they had been betrayed and deposited into the vile clutches of Black Tom Cassidy and the dungeon of Cassidy Keep. With the confines of the dungeon triggering Storm's claustrophobia, Banshee, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine are forced to fight alone. With the mighty blows of Colossus and the claws of Wolverine unable to damage the unstoppable Juggernaut, Nightcrawler uses his amazing agility and mutant teleportation to distract the mammoth villain and buy time for his teammates to recover Storm. Storm's memories trigger our first interlude. We discover that her fear of enclosed spaces stems from her childhood when a French fighter jet fighting in the Suez War crashed into her home. The bomb-laden jet killed her parents and trapped her in the rubble with their bodies. These thoughts are so strong that they trigger a psychic scream that Charles Xavier picks up across the Atlantic. So this brings us to our second interlude in which Professor X, after hearing Storm's cries for help, orders Cyclops to go and aid his comrades in arms. Not terribly enthused with the prospect of leaving Jean, still recovering in the hospital with the old lech, Cyclops refuses. An enraged Professor X, who can't seem to get rid of that blocker Cyclops, starts to read Scott the Riot Act when he once again sees the visage of the alien entity in his mind that has been plaguing him for several issues. The story leaves that plot thread dangling and brings us back to the melee in Cassidy Keep. Despite his heroic efforts against the Juggernaut, Nightcrawler is finally felled by a blast from Black Tom's cane. His unconscious form, however, is mysteriously rushed off to safety from some suddenly appearing elves. This is cold comfort to the rest of the team, who, despite some late heroics from Colossus and Storm, are quickly dispatched by the devious duo. What vile tortures do Black Tom and Juggernaut have in mind for our heroes? How will the X-Men escape their clutches? Is Storm dirty enough from that battle that she will need another shower? Tune in next time. <laughs> Did Ryan Daly write that last sentence? <laughs> That's approved. That's 100% approved. That's for Jared right there. That's for him. <laughs> I'm uh, excited to see if or when that happens next. <laughs> oh, So thank you for that synopsis, Jason. <laughs> That's what you want to call uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to the brick or rack for this issue. Is it a first read or reread? It's going to be a first read for me, Jason. This is a reread for me. Oh, Pat. so Jared. First read and Sean. It's a reread. All right. No read and rainbow on that one. Well, let's get into some highs and lows. Sean, let's start with you. All right. So for this issue, I have a couple highs and a couple lows. I'm going to start with the low so that I end on a good note. Chris Claremont takes us to Ireland, which is great. And according to Claremont, Ireland is what castles and leprechauns. I mean, I, I, <laughs> the next thing I expect to see is like an anthropomorphic shamrock making love to a potato. Like I don't like, it could not be more stereotypical about Ireland. So that was a little something I was like, yeah, Chris, I don't know, man, do a little research. The leprechauns have never sung for me, even though I think in the next issue, they actually say Wolverine's name for the first time. They call him Logan. I believe you're right. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that's the first time we see that his name is Logan. So it's interesting that a leprechaun gets that moment. So that was kind of my low. I was, I didn't think that was great. I have a couple highs. I'm a huge Nightcrawler fan. And the fact that they are fighting the Juggernaut and Black Tom and it's Nightcrawler, who's kind of the ex X-Men who shows best in this fight. I mean, he is all over the place and he's dodging blows and he's dumping fire in Juggy's face. And I loved it. So I think Kurt gets a great moment, which is really cool. And then I really liked, and this is going to be weird. I loved the cutback to Scott and Professor X in the hospital. And Professor X is like, you know, the X-Men have been attacked. You've got to go to Ireland right away. And I love the fact that Scott's
that's like, no, dude, like I, this is my life. This is a woman I love and I'm choosing her. And Professor X loses his mind. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, and I loved that. He's like, how dare you? He's like, you ungrateful. Um, you know, calls him a cur. He's like, I took you in. I gave you a home. I mean, Professor X goes right. <laughs> he goes to some deep seated things in here. And I think it's a cool moment because, you know, even though many years later we've come to see Professor X and his relationship with the X-Men is shaded more gray. This is one of the first times we really get to see a side of him where he's being sort of a petulant jerk. So I thought it was really great writing. So I would end on that. I thought that was a great little character beat for Professor X. Jason? Yeah, those are some really good insights there. I agree with you. I don't really care for the elves that much either. I think my one negative, I'll get that out of the way up front. There's no humor in this book at all. There's nothing funny other than the little triple lindig that Colossus did into Juggernaut's <laughs> belly there. That was kind of funny. I don't think that was supposed to be funny, but but I laughed. But there is tons of heart. And so I think that's one of the things that I wanted to touch on. From Aurora's backstory, Wolverine's fighting spirits really called in there. And I agree, Nightcrawler taking on Juggernaut by himself and just using his resourcefulness was really cool. The other thing is the art and the fight scene was just incredible. It was a fun battle to read. That was a page turner right there. So yeah, I think lots of heart and some good action, solid solid storytelling just could have used maybe a little humor injected into the book at some point jared i guess you're next as far as the highs go i liked the art a lot again cockram shows off he does some cool not only the action beats but military aircraft from the flashback of storm everything looked great this also had misty knight i'm a big fan i like some misty knight and i like me some storm it might be a theme no. there. i don't know that's uh that's right someone else decide <laughs> And as far as the logos, the one thing that bugged me was Black Tom and the Banshee keep going on and on about uh, my powers don't work against you and your powers don't work yeah. against me. What the hell are Black Tom's powers? I don't I, think they ever said. I don't have a freaking clue. Uh, he can push a button on a stick or something. That's Apparently all I know. he can push a button on a stick. I, I don't know. I think he uses the cane to channel his energy through, if I remember right. Yeah, those are his powers. He's an energy generator. And again, because Claremont... In Ireland, you know, he channels it through his shillelagh. And so it's, (laughs) and you know, not to blame a guy for channeling things through his shillelagh, but it is a weird, it's a weird motif. And yeah, and and I also don't understand what you're, Jared, the whole powers don't work on each other. Like Banshee is still sending waves of sound, like the air of the air is still being. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean Black Tom's going to fall over. It's a little weird, yeah. Doesn't Cyclops and Cyclops and yes, yes, they have the same thing where they're, for whatever reason, if they're related, their Mm -hmm. powers don't work on each other. But I will say that Shalele is good when your powers are canceling each other out. You still beat the S out of your opponent with that stick. <laughs> Poke him right in the tummy feathers. That's right. Shot to the tummy feathers. Later, it's like, ah, came in useful after all. <laughs> But I've had my highs and lows, but I'm going to squeeze in one more and say that whole thing with Nightcrawler is cool. I think this is where they reveal that he can blend into Shadow. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of confused at that part, too, is like some of him is showing, some of is not, and then they mention it, but they don't really give a reason why. I just remember playing that Marvel role-playing game with Jason, and that was one of his abilities. All right. He was in Shadow. You had to roll like a 99 or something to to be able to see him. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I've taken way too many highs and lows. Pat, let's hear what you got to say, man. That was one of my questions. 
questions I wanted to ask because as I'm going through these older X-Men, I am learning a lot. And, you know, we learned some background on Storm. I thought that was very interesting on her backstory there. Does that ever get changed or does that stay the same? No, that stays pretty much the same. Yeah, they they expand on it. In fact, they use the Harlem connection to connect her later to Luke Cage and Misty Knight. And and, yeah, and then actually they use the Kenya connection later to connect her to T'Challa from Wakanda. So this pretty much stays her origin for up till now. Oh, very cool. The other thing that I wasn't aware of is Juggernaut is somehow related to Charles. Oh, you didn't know that? No, I didn't. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, kind of somehow brothers. stumped my mind, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought that was kind of interesting as well too. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I see. Not blood relatives, they're step brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do a deed, work on each other. <laughs> I see who got, you know, at meal time, who ate more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Juggernaut's really mad because he put his <laughs> on his drum set. <laughs> oh, excellent, <laughs> excellent. I saw you with my eyes put your <laughs> on the drum set. <laughs> Oh, I got to edit that out now. Uh, <laughs> Beep and beats. <laughs> I do like the fight in this. Oh, this is just uh, an awesome battle for battle. So I was more of when they did the interludes, I was like, yeah, okay, let's, you know, I like the storm part. That was interesting. The professor, eh. I see that they add that extra plot point there that was kind of dangling and I was hoping that they'd come back to it a little bit more. But I definitely was wanting to get back into the fight because I'm like, this is really a cool battle and how Colossus and Juggernaut are kind of going back and forth. Wolverine tries to hit him, but his claws doesn't really do anything. Black Tom and Banshee, nothing's really happening to them. It just becomes a, a matter of fists and blows to each other. Continuing on about the fight between Colossus and Juggernaut, I think Jason mentioned about him doing a somersault that's why they have those workouts it goes back to the spider-man mm-hmm. issue where they're working out and that mm-hmm. trampoline's there yep that's i know he was trampoline using the trampoline yeah exactly <laughs> again really enjoyed this issue the art was awesome and there's not really much else i have let's see what delvin has to say going to visit two themes from later years of X-Men that apply in this solar issue. Charles Xavier is a terrible tactician. <laughs> they would always say it in later years, and man, did it apply here. Second, hashtag Cyclops was right. Man, Psych was right in that the new guys and woman have to figure this one out on their own, but man, did they struggle the entire book. Bad is really nothing. All out action and still found time to define Storm's origin. I'm not going to reveal his score just yet, but uh, he likes this book a lot. Well, before we get into the ratings, let's go ahead and see who went the extra mile for this issue. Sean, who's your extra mile? It's got to be Nightcrawler. I mean, he's the least powerful member of the team, and yet he is the one holding everybody together in that fight because Wolverine's kind of spastic and Colossus is splitting his attention between Storm and the rest of the fight. And it's Nightcrawler who's distracting and attacking. And so, yeah, he, he goes the extra mile. Oh, very good. I think I am going to jump in here and say I agree with Sean on that. I think Nightcrawler is my extra mile as well. Just pretty much for the same reason. Jared, who's your extra mile? Eh, this is tough. I got it down between Colossus and Professor Xavier's eyebrow game. Ultimately, I'm going to go with Colossus because he stepped up to the plate to fight a guy way out of his power league and did it with style and panache. So tip of the cap to you, Colossus. You may not have actually won, but man, you were like Rocky in there fighting Apollo in that first Rocky movie. And I respect that. Jason? Part of me wants to give it to Cyclops because he finally stood up to the professor and said, you know what? Those guys need to take care of themselves. I'm taking care of the woman I love. I respected that. I agree with what you said about Colossus. I 
the end of the day, though, I got to go Nightcrawler. I mean, that was true David Goliath. He was using everything that he could get his hands on to fight the Juggernaut. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to Nightcrawler at the end of the day. Jared, what did Delvin? Delvin gives his extra mile to the Juggernaut. He said Ah. he kicked everybody's butt. (laughs) He had a day, the entire issue, that has to be a tip of the cap. That's a weird sentence, but that's what he wrote. It would probably sound better with Delvin here. So Yeah, probably. <laughs> I probably didn't do it justice. You can't do it He's just, giving yeah. it to Juggernaut. And, I mean, you can see why. I mean, he took on that whole team and just like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into some ratings for this issue. The same one through five rating. Let's see what Sean thought. It is going to be a five for me. This is an iconic issue. I mean, it's a great first fight with the Juggernaut for the new X-Men. The art in particular, Cockrum is just... He is on his game. Like, this is not fair, but I often judge Marvel art by how many pictures did you get in the Ohatmus, you know, like in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. All right. And in Nightcrawler's entry, there's the one from the bottom of page five where he's fleeing from Juggernaut. The shot of Storm as a kid with her walking stick. That's in there, too. Oh, the, and the Colossus throwdown with Juggernaut. There's a panel from there. So the art is just too good. It's a great fight. Great little balance of story and art. And so I'm giving it a five. Jared? I had this at a four, but Sean might have just convinced mm. me to go over the top. If you take four plus Sean's raving about that art, which is on point, and then you add in Professor Xavier's eyebrows, <laughs> I'm giving it. I'm going to give it a full five as well. I was leaning on a four when we started this recording, but I have been convinced to go to five. I don't want to interrupt, but I'm so glad you brought up the eyebrows because I had a note in the, in my notes for today, and I was like, Professor X looks like Yul Brenner just got his eyebrows styled because he's on his way to a quinceanera. Like it is like his eyebrows. <laughs> eyebrows are out of control. It's so awesome that you brought those up. You don't want to keep the daughter away from him at that quinceanera, apparently. I'm just saying. He can't be trusted around those quinceaneras. He wanted to. You know, he knows I'm going to be yelling at somebody today. I got these angry brows I'm going to use. (laughs) Delvin rated it a five out of five. Delvin says, just fantastic to read. And boy, are the X-Men in trouble. Lots of fives being thrown around here. Jason. I wish I could give it a five, but there was absolutely no humor in this book at all. Nothing that made me crack a smile. And you know, I got to have a little humor in there. But Mm -hmm. everything that you all said is accurate. It was a fun read. It had some iconic moments. I'm going to give it a very strong four. I will also agree with Jason. I'm going to give it a strong four. I think, Jason, you kind of hit it there. There wasn't some humor. There wasn't enough in there for me. Not that I need it all the time, but I like that little breakup. Did you not see those eyebrows, man? Well, <laughs> there were some moments that were unintentionally funny, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, I did think it was funny when Wolverine was fighting Juggernaut and Colossus was trying to render first aid to Storm when Wolverine just like grabs him and throws him into <laughs> Juggernaut. That was funny. You know, again, maybe that's why they work out in the gym like that and they're able to try those moves out. Definitely really close to a five on that one. That's going to bring us to the end of this issue. What would you rate this issue? Go ahead and give us some feedback, you can email us at contact.longboxcrusade.com or also on the Twitter or Facebook page. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist, and I'm also the art director over at White Rocket Books. Quick question, what do you get when you take a fast-paced Alistair McLean novel, put it in a blender with a Star Trek DVD, and some G.I. Joe figures? I'm pretty sure you get award-winning sci-fi novelist Van Allen Plexico's 
first foray into the world of comics, a new comic miniseries based on Plexico's novella, Cold Lightning. Cold Lightning is a small part of Plexico's expansive space opera series of novels called The Shattering. Now, real quick, I want to give a quick heartfelt thank you to all the folks who helped us reach our crowdfunding goal over on GoFundMe. We are so excited to get this comic series underway. Now, depending on when you hear this ad, we're either still working away on this space adventure or it may be available already. The best way to find out is to head over to whiterocketbooks.com and see what the latest is. While you're there, you can look into all the novels of the Shattering series or Plexico's very popular Sentinels novel series. There's plenty to see, so come check us out. Once again, that's whiterocketbooks.com. Welcome back from the break. It's time for the feedback part of the show where we share your likes, shares, comments, emails, and questions in a segment called Crusader Comments. But due to the recording and episode release scheduling, we are going to catch up on them during the next episode. In the meantime, please take a moment to write a review on iTunes for this podcast. Even if you want to just keep it short with just star ratings, it helps raise the profile of the show and we'll share your review on the next show. We do want to say thanks to everyone for the follows, likes, shares, and comments. We appreciate all your friendship and help in spreading the word about this podcast. And that's the show. Be sure to check out the website longboxcrusaderchronicles.blogspot.com where posts are made for journaling this crusade. I want to thank Jared, Jason, and Delvin for writing in and our special guest, Sean Ross, for joining us this episode. But before we go, let's find out where the listeners can find us on the internet. Sean, where can people find you? On Twitter, I'm at Sean42AZ. It's it's S-E-A-N. It's the correct spelling of Sean. And you can again find my shows at Pulp to Pixel or at Nerdy Dads. Jason? You can find me at Jason Albrick on Facebook or Instagram or at Weasel Skull on Twitter. Delvin? At D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven on Twitter. Come chat with me. Jared? You can find me at Yard Sale Artist on Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitter tweets. Pat? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Christatos01. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Crusader Chronicles. You got a comment or question? Email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com or leave a comment on the Longbox Crusade Facebook or Twitter page at Longbox Crusade. Until next time, take care and please join us for the next episode as we continue on the crusade to read them
The intro music for Crusader Chronicles is provided by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You won't regret it. All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We make no money on this podcast, and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Outtakes. I saw you walking in the rain. That's all right, girl. Yeah. I took everything back, didn't I? I edited out everything that you had said on the podcast. That's right, girl. <laughs> Doing this podcast without Delvin is like four flakes without the milk. With the milk. <laughs> That's what we should say. Delvin can't be with us. He, he got sick because he was walking in the rain too much last episode. <laughs> He's walking in the rain. Got cold from walking in the rain. <laughs> Told him to wear that fur coat. Nah, that's it. Rabbit tricks up kids. kids. <laughs> he's, he's wearing that alley cat hush puppy wearing. <laughs> don't talk bad about me when I'm gone, Pat. All right, I'll be right back. Okay, sounds good. Don't say anything mean about me. I have oh, the audio what? track. <laughs> I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I didn't really like that Hamilton versus Burr. I don't know if you read that yet, but oh man, is that so? I got, I got. It's a trash right. can. What were you going to say, Pat? I'm sorry. I was going to say, you might be disappointed meeting him in person. I think it was. <laughs> well, yeah, now there's no. 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 <laughs> I, me- I remember the first time when we when we actually got, <laughs> we were like on the phone in the in Atlanta at the airport there. We were like back and forth on the phone. Where are you? Where are you? What we? <laughs> that was fun. Fun time. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, whatever. <laughs> So I'm looking for a new host. Uh, <laughs> not enough, uh, not enough D's nuts jokes in it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's really the re- the truth of all reality. There just isn't enough D's nuts anywhere. <laughs> uh, not enough of D's nuts to go wrong. And have some fun along the way talking with the comics. Oh, and have some fun along the way talking about the comics and my friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is our first day, isn't it? And now I'm now I'm really afraid because we have an English teacher here. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm judging probably really bad. Yeah. He's not a speech teacher. It's I'm right. grading. I'm I, grading I, you guys. I'm, 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 you're you're all failing thus far. Uh, <laughs> Sounds I right. got speech problems. So <laughs> so you, we, we knew we were failing a long time ago. We didn't, we didn't need an English teacher to tell us that. <laughs> My favorite thing about Pat is he's he's had a speech impediment his whole life, so he thought naturally, you know, podcasts. <laughs> I don't really have a good Delvin voice, so <laughs> neither does Delvin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I, I didn't know there was a, a chance to do this by correspondence. Like I, if you guys, see, <laughs> I would have just I would have just mailed my stuff in, man. <laughs> I spent an hour waiting for Jason. Like I didn't know I. Could <laughs> you could have spent that hour writing an email. Just exactly. In, that would have been in and out. <laughs> but then you wouldn't have fun talking with us. <laughs> Fun's a strong word, Pat. Is this like a hazing thing you guys do with your guests? Like, <laughs> like, like just one of you doesn't show up each time, and then you'll be like, let's kick it to Delvin. And I'm just sitting here waiting, like, I don't want to be rude and let them know that I can't hear him, but... <laughs> <laughs>
Do you want me to do my comments again? Or? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Now nah, we're going to delete those anyway. So <laughs> Okay, sounds good. So it's business as usual. All right. What do polls have to do with the synopsis? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm racking my brains for that, too. I'm like, how does the poll connect to? I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> Short poll. I don't know. Am I, supposed, <laughs> am I supposed to put a dollar in Jason's waistband after he does the synopsis? Is that, yeah. is that what it, I will that was say how you no. want to spend your money is how you spend your money. <laughs> That's right. Jason's he wants to put a dollar in my waistband. He can put a dollar in my waistband. <laughs>